0: At this point, I should explain what had happened to me since that summer day when I last hugged my dear and wise professor and promised to keep in touch. Well, I didn't keep in touch. In fact, I lost contact with most of the people I knew in college, including my beer-drinking friends and the first woman I ever woke up with in the morning. The years after graduation hardened me into someone quite different from the strutting graduate who left campus that day, headed for New York City, ready to offer the world his talent. The world I discovered was not all that interested. I wandered around my early twenties, paying rent and reading classifieds and wondering why the lights were not turning green for me. My dream was to be a famous musician. I played the piano. But after several years of dark, empty nightclubs, broken promises, bands that kept breaking up and producers who seemed excited about everyone but me, the dream soured. I was failing for the first time in my life. At the same time, I had my first serious encounter with death. My favourite uncle, my mother's brother, the man who had taught me music, taught me to drive, teased me about girls, taught me a football, that one adult whom I targeted as a child and said that's who I want to be when I grow up died of pancreatic cancer at the age of forty four. He was a short, handsome man with a thick mustache and I was with him for the last year of his life, living in an apartment just below his. I watched his strong body wither, then bloat, saw him suffer night after night, doubled over at the dinner table, pressing on his stomach, his eyes shut, his mouth contorted in pain. Ah, God, he would moan. Ah, Jesus. The rest of us, my aunt, his two young sons, me, stood there, silently, cleaning the plates, averting our eyes. It was the most helpless I have ever felt in my life. One night in May, my uncle and I sat on the balcony of his apartment. It was breezy and warm. He looked out toward the horizon and said, through gritted teeth, that he wouldn't be around to see his kids into the next school year. He asked if I would look after them. I told him not to talk that way. He stared at me sadly. He died a few weeks later. After the funeral, my life changed. I felt as if time were suddenly precious, water going down an open drain, and I couldn't move quickly enough. No more playing music at half empty nightclubs. No more writing songs in my apartment. Songs that no one would hear. I turned to school. I earned a master's degree in journalism and took the first job offer. As a sports writer. Instead of chasing my own fame, I wrote about famous athletes chasing theirs. I worked for newspapers and freelanced for magazines. I worked at a pace that knew no hours, no limits. I would wake up in the morning, brush my teeth and sit down at the typewriter in the same clothes I had slept in. My uncle had worked for a corporation and hated it, same thing every day, and I was determined never to end up like him. I bounced around from New York to Florida and eventually took a job in Detroit as a columnist for the Detroit Free Press. The sports appetite in that city was insatiable. They had professional teams in football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. And it matched my ambition. In a few years, I was not only panning columns, I was writing sports books, doing radio shows, and appearing regularly on television, spouting my opinions on rich football players and hypocritical college sports programs. I was part of the media thunderstorm that now soaks our country. I wasn't a man. I stopped renting, I started buying. I bought a house on a hill, I bought cars, I invested in stocks and built a portfolio. I was cranked to a fifth gear and everything I did, I did on a deadline. I exercised like a demon, I drove my car at breakneck speed. I made more money than I had ever figured to see. I met a dark haired woman named Janine who somehow loved me despite my schedule and constant absences. We married after a 7-year courtship, I was back to work a week after the wedding. I told her and myself that we would one day start a family, something she wanted very much, but that day never came, instead I buried myself in accomplishment. Because with accomplishments, I believed I could control things. I could squeeze in every last piece of happiness before I got sick and died. Like my uncle before me, which I figured was my natural fate. As for Mori? Well, I thought about him now and then. The things he had taught me about being human and relating to others. But it, all, but it was always in the distance. As if from another life. Over the years I threw away any mail that came from Brandeis University, figuring they were only asking for money. So I didn't know of Maury's illness. The people who might have told me were long forgotten. Their phone numbers buried in some packed away box in the attic. It might have stayed that way. Had I not been flicking through the TV channels late one night when something caught my ear.